This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. It's Sunday, September 22nd. I'm Margaret Brennan from New York, where world leaders are gathering for the annual United Nations General Assembly. And this is Face the Nation. It is a troubling time around the world. Already strained relations between the U.S. and Iran deteriorate further as Tehran threatens an all-out war if the U.S. and Saudi Arabia strike back following the attack on a Saudi oil facility that hurt world oil production and caused oil prices to spike. Iran knows if they misbehave, they're on borrowed time. We'll talk with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif. Are you confident that you can avoid a war? No. No, I'm not confident that we can avoid a war. I'm confident that we will not start one. But I'm confident that whoever starts one will not be the one who finishes it. Iran is not the only crisis facing world leaders. Millions around the world protest to call for urgent action on climate change. Is it too late to turn back some of its effects? In a rare interview, former Secretary of State John Kerry, who negotiated the Paris Climate Accords, will join us. Secretaries of State and a key U.S. adversary, plus analysis on all the news, only on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation in New York, where world leaders face a number of critical challenges at the annual United Nations General Assembly. Late Friday, the Pentagon announced the U.S. will deploy additional troops and military equipment to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, increasing security in the region after last week's attack on oil fields in Saudi Arabia. The Trump administration has placed blame for those attacks squarely on Iran and announced on Friday a new round of sanctions against Iran's national bank. President Trump has not ruled out military strikes, but it seems he is holding off on them for now. We begin this morning with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who called the oil field attacks an act of war. Mr. Secretary, good morning. It's good to be with you again. You are the only U.S. official who has directly and definitively blamed every single part of these attacks on Iran. Is there any question that the attack was launched from Iran? No reasonable person doubts precisely who conducted these strikes. And it is the intelligence community's determination that is likely the case that these were launched from Iran. You, you've seen the pictures that likely. came from the north. That came from the north. It was a sophisticated attack. These weapon systems had ranges that could not have come from the Houthis. Uh, it is crazy for anyone to assert that they did. I mean, it is literally nuts on its face 
to make an assertion that this was an attack by the Houthis. Uh, this was Iran, true and true, and the United States will respond in a way that reflects that act of war by this Iranian revolutionary regime. It was launched from Iran. This was an attack by Iran on the world. This was an act of war. I'm here at the UN. Okay, the, the UN, the U- UN's, the UN's primary, the UN's primary charter is either. to prevent state and on Saudi state. Saudi Arabia attack. hasn't. Either. The UN's primary charter is to protect peace around the world. This was a state on state act of war. Iran's foreign minister, as you may have heard, has repeatedly denied uh, any part played by Iran in this attack. Will the U.S. release evidence that proves he's lying? Well, we already have. There's already ample evidence that demonstrates that he's lied. You saw the Saudis showing these were uh, Iranian systems built, <laughs> built and manufactured inside of Iran. Uh, we, we, know, we know where, we know where they attacked. Look, look don't, I don't know why anybody listens to the Iranian foreign minister. He has nothing to do with Iranian foreign policy, and he's lied for decades. And then he resigned. It, it's just it's not even worth it's not even worth responding to him. It's it's been it's beneath the dignity of anyone in the world to listen to someone who repeatedly makes the claim that the Houthis launched this attack. Saudi Arabia has it showed itself incapable of defending its no, that's, most that's prized not, not asset. And it is America's best customer when it comes to buying American-made weapons. Uh, U.S. intelligence also didn't warn of this attack happening. Are you concerned about the stability of the kingdom, that they were this vulnerable? Yeah, you don't have all your facts quite right. Uh, but you saw the announcement that the Secretary of Defense made on Friday. We're going to continue to reinforce. Uh, we're looking for a diplomatic resolution to this, unlike the Iranians, who apparently well, part are, of the facts who are apparently wrong. blood. Saudi Arabia apparent, was not able to defend uh, uh, itself. Apparently, the Iranians are bloodthirsty and looking for war. President Trump and I were looking for a diplomatic resolution to this. What does we that had mean? A, we had a nation state attack another nation state, the largest attack on the. A global energy supply, I think, in all of recorded history. The good news, uh, when I walked in here this morning, Brett crew straight at 64 bucks a barrel. And the world has responded in a way that has made sure that there's ample supply in the system. But make no mistake about it, we're, we're prepared to do the things we need to do to try to deter Iran from this kind of behavior. What does a diplomatic resolution mean? The attack happened. Yeah. So the resolution looks like this. Uh, Iran becomes a normal nation. Uh, we laid out now a year ago in May. Uh, These are your 12 no, steps. No, no missile strikes. Uh, no, no capacity to build out their nuclear weapons program, broadly speaking. Uh, stop the assassination campaign. They're, they're killing people in Europe. They have an assassin, assassination campaign in Europe. This is not a normal nation. And we hope, we hope the Iranian people, who we think are demanding that their country stop this kind of behavior, act in a way that causes the Iranian regime's behavior to change. That's our mission set. It's what President Trump is determined to achieve, first and foremost through diplomatic means. But the president hasn't laid those things out publicly as you just did. He he and I fully understand the mission set. I, I, I know it because he's told it to me. If you look at just the things that have happened over the past few months, the U.S. Mm -hmm. has been very clear that it places blame for the shooting down of that American drone on Iran, the uh, attack on the oil tanker in the UAE Mm -hmm. on Iran, this attack on Iran. It seems Iran's behavior is getting worse, not better, based on the Trump administration's campaign. You've been very aggressive with these sanctions. Why do you think sanctioning them leads to better behavior? Margaret, you, you start the clock at the wrong point. I'm talking about what happened this summer. 1979 is the trajectory of the Iranian revolution. Forty years of terror. Forty years of terror. The previous administration chose 
to arm them, to provide the wealth and resources that have underwritten these very attacks that we're seeing today. They were able to build out these missile systems. So you they think were the able Trump to improve administration it. policy they is were... working, is what you're saying, despite the fact that these attacks are continuing to happen? Because Liz Cheney, Lindsey Graham, Republican mm-hmm. allies of the president have said the failure to carry out some kind of obvious retaliation or military strike looks like weakness. Yeah, we've responded in a number of ways. Uh, this is not about weakness. This strategy is working. Uh, we, we sanctioned the central bank on Friday. Mark, you have to remember, the, the sanctions that we put in, put in place that ultimately will uh, cause the Iranian regime to shrink by between 10 and 15 percent in the year ahead only went in place in May of this year. They're, they're five months on. Uh, we're at the beginning of that sanctions campaign. But I, I don't think anyone should mistake President Trump for having the resolve to make sure we get this right. And when the moment calls for it, I am confident the president will take all appropriate actions. But I guess fundamentally the question is, why do you think sanctions will be preventative and not just punitive? Why do you think making Iran Mm -hmm. more desperate will get them to act more responsible? It'll deny them the resources to foment the exact kind of strikes that we have seen over this past summer. It will deny them the money, the wealth, the resources. They're operating today in five countries. Uh, it's expensive. They've already had to make difficult decisions about whether they're going to feed their people, provide medicine to their people, or they're going to launch missiles into Saudi Arabia. I am convinced that the Iranian people see those choices being made, and as time goes on, they will con- continue to see that those conditions worsen, and they'll demand, they'll demand that their leadership not bring their brothers and sisters back home in body bags, but rather use those resources. The, the, the Iranian people are great people. We, we stand with them, and I'm, I'm confident they will demand that their leadership behave in a way that reflects the great history of this place. Are you considering cyber attacks? Would that be a less obvious, less direct form of retaliation? The president talked about our use of those previously, but I'm certainly not going to forecast what we'll do as we move forward. But suffice it to say, building up defensive presence and sanctions are not the limit of what the Trump administration will do? Oh, goodness, no. I want to also ask you uh, about... Ukraine. The president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, is publicly calling for an investigation by the Ukrainian government into Joe Biden, uh, who is obviously a, a political opponent of the president. Is it appropriate for the president's personal attorney to be inserting himself in foreign affairs like this? If there was election interference that took place by the vice president, I think the American people deserve to know. We, we know there was interference in the 2016 election. And if it's the case that there was something going on uh, with uh, the president's family that caused a conflict of interest and Vice President Biden behaved in a way that was inconsistent with the way uh, leaders ought to operate, I think the American people deserve to know that. So you think it's appropriate for Rudy Giuliani to be doing that? Has the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine been providing support? The State Department been supporting what he's doing? So I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that other, other than to say this. Um, we have consistently worked to support the Ukrainian people. Uh, I remember the previous administration. I would, Margaret, you'll remember I was a member of Congress, and um, Barack Obama refused to provide defensive weapon systems to the Ukrainian people. He sent them blankets. This president, uh, much to the consternation of Vladimir Putin, who, you know, there's this storyline about Russia, and we're weak on Russia. This president sent defensive weapon systems mm-hmm. to the Ukrainians so they could defend themselves while Barack Obama allowed one-fifth of Ukraine to be stolen by Vladimir Putin. This administration is working to develop a great relationship with Ukraine. We'll see President Zelensky this week here in New York, I think. 
and we're looking forward to that. Will you ask him or have you asked him to open an investigation? I've talked to the foreign minister now a couple of times. We talk about the important relationship between our two countries and how we can make Ukraine stronger and have great economic commerce between our two great nations. Secretary Pompeo, you've got a very busy week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Mark. Secretary Pompeo's counterpart in Iran is Foreign Minister Javad Zarif. We spoke with him yesterday. You think it's posturing? I think it's posturing. I think it's all going the wrong direction in addressing this issue. The United States says there's no way this attack was launched from Yemen and that the Houthis don't even have the ability to do what happened. Well, it is difficult for the United States to explain why its state-of-the-art equipment was not able to intercept these weapons. But the fact of the matter is that the Houthis have accepted responsibility for that. If it were a false flag operation, if somebody else did it, then they should look for that culprit. It wasn't Iran. The United States, Saudi Arabia, they all say that the weapons, the evidence that they have and have gathered, was made by Iran. Well, they've made all those claims in the past. Those missiles can be reverse engineered to figure out where they were launched from. Well, they can do it. The U.S. says it's just a matter of time before okay. other investigators well, determine that these came from Iran. Let them do that because it would take a miracle for them to claim that because it didn't come from Iran. Period. Saudi Arabia allowed in reporters to the oil facilities to look at the damage. Mm -hmm. And there's evidence the attacks came from the north, not from Yemen, from territories that would indicate Iran, possibly Iraq, but the United States says Iran. Well, there is no evidence to that effect. The Saudis made a show, but they could not prove it. Now, at the end of the day, they claimed that the weapons were Iranian, but they couldn't show even that. They've been showing that uh, a lot of lies. Are you confident that the UN inspectors, that the French inspectors, that the other countries who are sending people on the ground to look at this equipment, that none of them will determine that Iran played a direct role here or that these were fired from Iran? I'm confident that Iran did not play a role. I'm confident that anybody who does who conducts an impartial investigation will reach that conclusion. But I cannot say a priori that the people who are being sent will conduct an impartial investigation because we've had cases in the past where they did it. So will you accept the results of the UN investigators? No, we will accept the results of an impartial investigation. Who's impartial? We can create an impartial investigation team. We were not informed by the UN. We were not consulted by the UN. We do not know on what basis this has taken place. So we will take it up with the United Nations. We are confident that if the United Nations carries out an impartial investigation, the, the outcome will be that it was not launched from Iran. Saudi Arabia said today that citizens from the region are being recruited by Iran to carry out attacks. Uh, th this means that, that are, mean? it, it means that they are backtracking from the initial allegation that it's coming from Iran. They're saying that it may, may have come from somewhere else, but it was based on citizens being recruited by Iran to do this. So uh, a lie falls apart sooner or later. Can you say that these weren't Iranian-backed attacks in any way, shape, or they form? They were not Iranian-backed attacks. We support the Yemenis. 
And you see, Iran. But you also support Iran, militias in Iraq and elsewhere. No, we support the government of Iraq. These militias that you talk about are part of the Iraqi government. What can we, you say these weren't launched from Iraq by an Iranian-backed group? No, they were not launched from Iraq by an Iranian-backed group or by any group. President Trump has said he'd be willing to meet with Iran without precondition. And there has been talk among Western powers about trying to give some financial lifeline to Iran to stay in the nuclear deal. All of that was happening. And then this attack seemed to blow it all up. No, all of that was not happening. You didn't take the offer of talks as real? uh, We have been talking to the French. The United States has been reluctant to uh, engage in what is required. Let me give you an example that President Trump would easily understand in in transactional terms, uh, in real estate terms. I buy a building from you, and somebody inherits your company from you next year, and he comes and tells me, I didn't sell that building to you. I need a higher price and a worse building. Would you buy it? Would anybody, in, to use President Trump's word, in any history buy this building? Do you have any example in any history, again, to use his word, of anybody doing this? He is asking us. We didn't have a revolution in the United States. President Trump inherited a government from another administration that was legally elected uh, as United States government. And this agreement has been endorsed by the Security Council. Mm. This agreement is in a Security Council resolution. Now, last I heard, the United States sits in the Security Council as a permanent member. It has not withdrawn. It withdrew from uh, Human Rights Council. It withdrew from UNESCO, but hasn't withdrawn from the Security Council, at least not as of yet. You you said yourself that you were invited into the Oval Office to meet with President Trump. Yeah, but to meet him for what? For a photo opportunity? Or to meet him for some substance? So when the President says he's willing to meet and talk, you're not taking it seriously at all? We're ready to talk. We're ready to talk, but talk in terms of something that is not going to be valid only for the next one and a half year or five and a half years. We need to talk about something that is permanent, that would last. We already have an agreement. We talked. I have talked to what was a United States Secretary of State and United States Secretary of Energy for hours upon hours of painful negotiations. These were difficult negotiations. It wasn't just a two-page document that we signed so that we could do another two-page document. So you're saying you will not meet or talk or consider diplomatic negotiations with the United States unless the acceptance of that old deal, the JCPOA, is agreed to. It's, It's a deal that exists now. There is a negotiating room. There is a negotiating table. You will not meet with Secretary Pompeo outside of that? No. Why? Because there's no reason to. There's no reason and, to talk to And basically, to Secretary Pompeo is prevented by law from meeting me because they designated me. <laughs> U.S. officials uh, told CBS News, though, that the Supreme Leader himself approved these attacks on Saudi Arabia, but that they needed to be deniable. Well, this is just a hypocritical, hypothetical uh, uh, allegation. I mean, no, no 
reality whatsoever. To the Supreme Leader didn't approve these attacks. These attacks did not take place from Iran for the Supreme Leader to approve them. Had they taken place from Iran, then he would have had to approve them, but it didn't take place from Iran. Do you think U.S. officials are lying when they say that? That Saudi Arabia is lying? I'm certain that they're being lied too. Whether they want to accept that lie, I think the work of us diplomats, I think myself and my counterpart, the U.S. Secretary of State, we need to try uh, to push diplomacy, as Senator Sanders has recently said, not to push war. Are you confident that you can avoid a war? No. No, I'm not confident that we can avoid a war. We, I'm confident that we will not start one. But I'm confident that whoever starts one will not be the one who finishes it. What does that mean? That means that there won't be a limited war. I'm told I'm out of time. There's plenty more to talk to you about, though. Thank you. Good talking to you. You're tough. <laughs> our full interview with the Iranian foreign minister is available on our website. Next, we'll talk with former Secretary of State John Kerry. He negotiated that Iranian nuclear agreement and the Paris Climate Accords, both of which President Trump has left. We'll talk about what's next. Don't go ahead. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We're back now with former Secretary of State John Kerry. He is in town as part of a U.N. push to combat climate change. Mr. Secretary, good to see you here. Good Great to, to have be here. you here. Happy to be with you. Thank you. We want to talk to you about this climate project, but I want to start on Iran. Sure. Uh, the United States is not required to defend Saudi Arabia in the wake of this attack. But does the U.S. look weak if it doesn't militarily respond? Not if we do other things that show strength and confidence in a genuine strategy and policy. And that's what's really lacking here, I think. Um, you've, got to, you've got to go back to the beginning here. We had an agreement. We have an agreement that the rest of the world supports. The nuclear deal. The nuclear agreement. And I heard Secretary Pompeo say, well, we want to get into a place where we know they can't have a nuclear weapon. Well, we're there. We were there. And France, Germany, Britain, China, Russia all still support 
a multilateral agreement that was a model of multilateral diplomacy. We came together, the world uh, uh, welcomed this, the United Nations Security Council ratified it, embraced it, and that still is there. Along comes President Trump, and he pulls out. He broke the agreement. You think pulling out caused this escalation? The escalation is the absolutely foreseeable, and it was foreseen, that this is what would happen. Why do I say that? Because we were ridiculed for saying that the alternative to what we were trying to do in making the agreement was war, was conflict. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I personally had leaders in the Middle East telling me, you've got to bomb Iran. We had a prime minister of uh, Israel come to America and ask for a green light to bomb. So we were averting war. And when we signed the agreement in in Vienna, the initial agreement, uh, we all agreed that this was a way to avoid a war and open up a channel of communicating and diplomacy to be able to deal with legitimate other issues that are concerned with Iran. We're concerned about their support for Hezbollah. We're concerned about their missiles. We're concerned about Yemen. We're concerned about interference in other countries. But what is the best way to deal with that, Margaret? That's the question. But can by the nuclear this, deal be salvaged now, given that Iran is already starting to push the limits and cheat here? Well, there are sunset they're, clauses. Yes, they are. Uh, look, I think, uh, and, and I, you've got to be really clear and honest about what's happening here. I believe Iran, one way or the other, was behind the attack that took place. That, to me, is obvious. It's also obvious that it's got to be denied. And it will be denied right now, because they need the plausible deniability. But the president, I think, is is actually correct to be evaluating sort of not being rushed into a corner to go to war. Mm-hmm. That is what we shouldn't do. But you've also got to look at what happened afterwards, after we pulled out. We basically declared economic war right. on Iran. We have been pressuring them, maximum pressure. And it was entirely foreseeable that mm-hmm. that would result in further conflict. So we're seeing the unfolding of really a bankruptcy of approach. The international okay. community can come together now. And I think there is a way to avert war this week. without want, showing weakness. I want to take a quick break sure. and have a more extended conversation on the other side of it. Don't go anywhere. Great. Secretary Kerry, all of you stay with us and a conversation about climate change ahead. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We continue our conversation with former Secretary of State John Kerry. Uh, Mr. Secretary, at the 
bit of our conversation where we left off, you said you do see a diplomatic off-ramp here, away from conflict. Our allies still support the agreement, but our allies also, the nuclear agreement, but they also support holding Iran accountable for other issues in the region. I believe better diplomacy, more diplomacy with our allies, bringing people together. There is a road to an agreement that could provide a full new security arrangement for the region and deal with the nuclear issue. Now, you famously negotiated the Paris Climate Change Accord. Remember, you going to the signing with your granddaughter on your knee. You felt really passionate about this. Um, But even you say that was not sufficient. Correct. Every Democrat running says they're going to rejoin this accord. Yes, not adequate. It's not adequate. No. What more needs to be done? An enormous amount. We have to transition very rapidly to electric vehicles. We have to get to a net zero carbon economy in our country. By 2050, we have to, by 2030, have moved significantly in the direction of major changes. Every scientist uh, who has been involved in this for years is telling us we have a certain number of years in order to be able to respond, and no nation in the world is responding adequately. So we're going to create a movement here in America, I believe, that will, and across the world, actually, a global movement called World War Zero. And you can go to worldwarzero.com now, and there's an introductory page in October. We'll be filling out uh, the full website. But we will be announcing this in full with big names, uh, a big concept that is going to help change the political dynamic in America. It's going to create political accountability around the world for leaders who are not doing what is necessary. Well, about 60 countries at the UN this week are expected to make some kind of pledge to reduce... Some kind is a good word. Some kind of pollution. (laughs) If the United States, the Trump administration, and China aren't leading this, is it meaningless? Well, it's not meaningless. They're the two biggest polluters. No, it's not meaningless. There are countries. India, China are going to make announcements, and it steps forward. But the United States of America represents uh, the second largest amount individually of emissions that contribute to this. China is 25 percent. We're 15 percent. We have to be at the table. We have to be involved. And, and this is a life and death issue as kids. I mean, 16 year old kids and a lot of children all around the world are saying, save the future for us. They can't vote in the Congress. Mm-hmm. They don't have a position in the boardroom right now. So more and more companies are actually coming to the table. We're working with a, a group called We Mean Business, a thousand companies, $21 trillion of assets. They're committed to moving. And I believe we can change the dynamic and hold politicians accountable. That's the key. We did it in 1970 with Earth Day. We created the EPA. We created the Clean Air Act, many other things. We have to create political accountability and make this an issue that will motivate people. So on that point, is there a carry standard when it comes to endorsing one of the candidates running for president? Are, are, is this an issue you want to see specific policies on before you endorse any be, Democrats? This has to be one of the top voting issues in our nation and in the world. And it has to be one of the top organizational issues. That's why it's called World War Zero, because the world has to be involved, because the deniers and mm-hmm. the, the, the distorters and the delayers have literally declared war on people. We're, they're dying today. We have people dying in mudslides, dying in fires, dying in, in, in floods. Uh, farmers are losing their livelihood. Amazing things are happening, and the response is not adequate. So we have to make this an issue which goes to the ballot box, which Americans and people all around the world are saying, we have to change our direction. It can be done in a way that creates millions of jobs. This is not, people are really irresponsibly scaring people, lying to people. 
telling them you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your way of life. No, you're actually going to have a healthier life. Mm -hmm. There are going to be more jobs, better paying jobs. This is a revolution that I think uh, young people are way ahead of the leaders on this. And we have to make sure we are accountable to ourselves and to future generations. You obviously served alongside Joe Biden in the Obama administration. Uh, the Secretary of State seemed to be supporting on this program uh, what Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, is doing in terms of calling for an investigation into Joe Biden. Well, first of all, it is what entirely inappropriate for the president's personal attorney to be involved in another country trying to find dirt on a presidential candidate, number one. Number two, what President uh, Trump has done is an abuse, if he has done it, and the way to prove whether he's done it or not is release the transcript of that conversation. That's how you get to the bottom of this. But there's just a, you know, for the President of the United States to be leveraging American foreign policy, hawking it, yeah. extorting the leader of another country, if that's what has happened, is unprecedented. And the last time a president did that, Richard Nixon, the Republican Party stood up and held him accountable for the abuse of power. This Republican Party today is, is running for cover and actually uh, inadvertently supporting a, a cover-up if, if, if what is alleged is true. The <laughs> only way to get at it is release the transcript, let everybody see what the president said. And if he leveraged American foreign policy and foreign aid to, to get a president of another country to be the opposition research right. arm of his campaign, that is a fundamental, profound, and deeply disturbing you abuse know what, of power. Do you know what Secretary Pompeo was talking about when he said election interference? I mean, were you surprised I, I he talked no about idea. that? No, I don't. I don't know what. Is that it is. an appropriate for, thing for the Secretary I, of State to be I have no idea what about? he was talking about, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to make a judgment on that. You, before you were Secretary of State, you spent decades. I mean, maybe he was referring to the Russian piece or something. I don't know. But I asked him about Ukraine, so he seemed to be linking it when he said election interference and Joe Biden. Um, yeah, but can I say so, one other thing? Yeah. The the. Obama administration, as a whole administration, was working overtime to try to end corruption in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. You couldn't move forward and deal with Ukraine if you didn't end corruption. So that was the focus. It was professionals in the State Department, a, 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 an ambassador who requested that we be involved to try to get a prosecutor mm -hmm. out of the way who was not able to move. That was an administration policy. It was the professional diplomats who requested that we try to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, there's no equivalency here. The president's just is, you know, throwing up a distraction. The fact is that uh, that transcript needs to be released in order to clarify whether or not this president has again uh, colluded in a way with another country that um, is inappropriate. Can I ask you very quickly about the seat? that you held in Congress? For, well, you can ask, Senate, but I'm not, I'm not... You don't want to pick someone in the primary race no, I, just, for your uh, old seat in the Senate in Massachusetts. But are you surprised to see this? Does this demonstrate to you in any way the divide between, you know, Joe Kennedy, grandson, and Skyon of that family as sort of the more progressive arm of the Democratic Party versus someone, Ed Markey, uh, yeah. who you know well? Uh, Margaret, I am not going to comment on what's happening there, and I'm not going to comment on 2020 at this point in time. There's a time when it may be appropriate, and I'll, I'll weigh in, but not today. Hopefully it'll be with us here on Face the Nation. When you do, Mr. Secretary, it was good to talk to you. <laughs> we'll be you. right back with our panel. Stay with us. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. 
Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. We turn now to our panel for some analysis. Ben Dominic is the publisher of The Federalist and host of The Fray on Sirius XM, which debuts this week. Congratulations. Radhika Jones is the editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. Lonnie Chen is a Republican policy advisor and fellow at the Hoover Institution. And David Sanger is a national security correspondent and a senior writer for The New York Times. David, I want to start off with you uh, with all the news um, that we heard on this program in the past week with Iran. What is the next step? What does a diplomatic resolution actually look like? It's interesting that we heard uh, Secretary of State Pompeo talk so much about a diplomatic solution and then basically say the only solution is for Iran to fundamentally change its nature and its character. I I don't think it's likely that Mm -hmm. we're going to see only diplomacy used in in this case. I think the president feels like he's got to do something more. I'm told you there's a problem with your mic, so I'm going to come back to you to let you finish that thought. Lonnie, if you would pick up, it appears that the president is reluctant to use military force. That may surprise a lot of people, given his rhetoric. Um, John Bolton's gone from the National Security Advisor job. Robert O'Brien's now in that position. Are we being, are we going to watch him pushed more towards negotiations and away from war footing? Uh, I I think the president's going to get a variety of options from Robert O'Brien. I've worked with him. I've known him for a while. He's got great bedside manner. He's going to be able to give the president that panoply of options. Really, as a national security advisor, be an honest broker, I think, in a lot of ways. But his views on Iran, I don't think fundamentally all that different from where John Bolton was. I think the question now becomes for the president, going into an election year, Mm -hmm. how does that affect the way that he views these conflicts in foreign policy? And I do think it's going to turn him away from that war footing, away from more uh, greater possibility of kinetic involvement in the region, mm-hmm. and, and more toward diplomacy and things that he can market on the on the campaign trail. David, let me come back to you. What is de- what is diplomacy accomplished? What are we going to see here at the UN this week when you hear the secretary say he's going to sort of prosecute the case publicly? Well, the first problem that the, the secretary has had is that the Europeans have never been with the United States and with President Trump on his decision to get out of the Iran nuclear deal. I suspect what you're going to hear a lot of this week is that this attack, which even Secretary Kerry agreed had Iranian fingerprints on it, even if they didn't launch it from Iranian territory, is the reason that the world's got to get unified against Iran. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure the Europeans are going to buy that. You also saw the the Secretary um, be a little bit cagey when you asked him about whether or not The United States would use cyber as a way to retaliate. Um, The U.S. has used cyber attacks against Iran three times over the past decade. It wouldn't shock me if you saw that again as the non-kinetic option uh, to avoid the problems that Lonnie was discussing. Ben, 
what do you think is, is playing out here? Because there are calls, uh, particularly from the more so-called traditional wing of the Republican Party, the Liz Cheney's, the Lindsey Graham's, who say you have to do something that you can claim cyber you can't. They can make the strong argument that the Iranians should not be able to hold the world's global oil supply hostage, that there has to be a significant response on the part of the administration. But the president here is really boxed in. He's made an argument to his supporters over the past several years that America's involvement in the Middle East is something that was largely a mistake. Now he faces a situation where the Iranians are from the perspective of a lot of people, exploiting that message. They understand that he's headed into election year, and they want to box him in in a scenario where he has to make some kind of concessions. I think, though, that this is something where there's going to be a lot of new voices in the room, Robert O'Brien being one of them, who are going to have to find a way to navigate this in a way that satisfies the president's priority, which I think is to remove himself, as Lonnie said, from any kind of kinetic action over there. Rudiger, you also heard uh, on Capitol Hill some more reluctance when it comes to treating Saudi Arabia like an ally that you have to take military action to defend. It's an interesting um, position when you juxtapose it with uh, the president's support um, after the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, but I think that the... Um, you know, the thing that strikes me about this is that the president is very willing to escalate his rhetoric on Twitter. Um, but, but when it comes to his base and when it comes to the critiques that he's had for other leaders about getting entangled in that region, um, it's harder for him to act on it. And he has traditional advisors on the one hand, and he has Tucker Carlson on the other hand. And the voice of Tucker Carlson um, and his base is important to him. It was interesting to hear Secretary Kerry, though, say essentially mm -hmm. he is showing restraint, something that very few people thought Donald Trump would do. Because Be restrained. He has, he has the rhetoric as a way to satisfy his desire to seem strong, his desire to project uh, power. But then when it comes to the actual formation of policy toward the region, mm -hmm. you know, this is a situation where you can't let the Iranians come in and just thumb their nose at the global community, say, we're not even going to accept a UN investigation before it even happens. I mean, that's sending a clear signal about the way that the regime reviews the rest of the world. Rudika, the other thing we saw here in New York and really around the world were these climate-related protests mm -hmm. uh, led by young people calling for action. I mean, the UN's always the Super Bowl of diplomacy, perhaps this year more so than ever, but what does it all add up to? Well, it's striking that on that point, the U.S. is sort of a non-presence this year. I mean, climate is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. It's that it's, you saw the turnout from Gen Z. It's not even millennials anymore. It's people who are on the cusp of voting. They may not even be there yet, but they feel an existential crisis. And I, what's striking to us in New York is that the U.S. is no longer, can't claim any leadership on this issue. And, and it seems like the attitude of the rest of the world is, well, we're not even going to bother to try to persuade anymore. We're going to forge ahead without them. That's new for the U.S. David, what will we hear from President Trump when he takes the podium at the U.N. General Assembly? Uh, I think that you will uh, hear the president basically make another form of his America first argument with a twist. And the twist is going to be that the Iran situation poses the United States and the world with a freedom of navigation, a freedom of oil supply issue that everybody should roll around. So in other words, he's taking what the American interests are and trying to globalize them. And that's part of an evolution of Donald Trump that I think is, is kind of interesting. I think the other interesting evolution comes out of your question about how he has become the more cautious uh, player in the room. 
because suddenly a president who was used to declaring that Barack Obama had not done enough, was overcautious, which I think you could make a, a legitimate argument about, um, has suddenly come face to face with the realities of escalation. And so you saw him pull back from that attack when uh, Iran downed uh, the drone. Mm -hmm. And his own advisors, including Secretary Pompeo, as the Times reported this morning, were concerned that he would seem like President Obama seemed when he pulled back from the attack on Syria. So the president, oddly enough, has become the most cautious one in the national security team. It's fascinating, the evolution. Uh, we have so much to talk about. I want to take a quick break and continue our conversation on the other side with our political panel. So stay with us. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. And we are back now with our panel. David, uh, it's, it's a challenge to unravel what is a very complicated story with Ukraine, but I know you're up for it. Um, you, this began with the intelligence community whistleblower uh, saying that there were concerns about a phone call and what happened on it between the president of Ukraine, we learned over the course of the week, and President Trump. And now you have the president himself out there saying there was no quid pro quo, there was nothing wrong on this, but throwing uh, some question on his political opponent, Joe Biden and his own personal attorney is campaigning for a Ukrainian investigation into his political opponent. You, I mean, it's all very unusual, but what do people at home actually need to know about it? Well, it is pretty complicated, Margaret, but I think the core issue here is there are two separate topics. The first is that did the Obama administration and did Vice President Biden interfere on behalf of his son in any way to get, the, to get a prosecutor in Ukraine fired back uh, in 2015. The prosecutor was uh, Viktor uh, Shokin. Uh, he was considered pretty corrupt by the IMF, by the European Union, by the United States. It was no secret the U.S. was trying to get him uh, ousted. Um, and Secretary get, Kerry talked about that. And he did get, yes, and he mm -hmm. did get ousted. So. Now comes the question of the conversation that uh, the president had with the new Ukrainian uh, president, President Zelensky. And the question was, in the course of this conversation, did he, uh, up to eight times, according to the Wall Street Journal, urge the president to reopen this investigation into the Bidens and all of that? And was there held out, either explicitly or subtly, the military aid to Ukraine that mm -hmm. is being used to go ward off the Russians. And astoundingly, just as this whole whistleblower thing came together, that aid, which had been frozen for months, suddenly flowed about two weeks ago with no explanation from the White House. So there's a lot of question of did the president seek 
in, interference in the in the election, seek this uh, against the Bidens, mm-hmm. and did he release the aid? as part of it. Lonnie, it, it's sort of a standard talking point that secretaries of state say, I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm only going to talk about foreign policy. But Secretary Pompeo bit at that one. Why? Well, I, I think there are two layers here. One is a, a political layer and the second is a legal layer. All right. So the, the politics of this for the administration, in some ways, raising the issue almost sort of begs people to ask the question, well, what did happen there? Well, I don't know about that story. Tell me more about that. And so it gets into the politics of the election cycle in some ways, in a way that arguably could benefit the administration. The legal question separately is, uh, is there more that can be done to strengthen uh, the intelligence community's ability, the IG's ability in particular, to refer something to Congress, even if the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, doesn't want that to happen. So that's a, a question for Congress, whether the law needs to be strengthened to give the whistleblower more uh, protection. Ben, you were yeah, trying just, to jump in there. I just wanted to point out that through the domestic political lens here, uh, what the president wants is to be able to cast aspersions at candidates who he views as being potential threats. He used very effectively uh, the Clinton Foundation against Hillary Clinton in ways that you know can be debated about to this day. He wants to find other aspects of this that he could use potentially against Joe Biden. There isn't anything directly about Joe Biden, really, that you can use that's out there. But his son does have a couple of relationships, foreign uh, uh, relationships overseas, that can be questioned and have been questioned. Uh, and that's something that I think is as an issue something he'd much rather have Joe Biden talking about at this point for the past mm-hmm. week as opposed to the economy, health care, or any other thing that actually relates to voters' lives. And if you look at just the latest poll uh, out of uh, the Des Moines Register, it reflects something that even CBS saw, which is uh, Elizabeth Warren in the past few weeks is only rising uh, politically, uh, potentially as a threat to Joe Biden here, mm-hmm. uh, who was seen as a front runner for so long. Radhika, what, what do you see this sort of encapsulating in terms of where the Democratic Party is headed? Well, Warren has had a great week. Um, and I'm going to say something that might sound trivial, but it's not. She her, her campaign announced this week that she had taken her 60,000th selfie. Hmm. Um, she has been a master of the selfie line, and it's increasingly a topic of conversation because it gets to the core of her She's a grassroots campaigner. She is a, um, a person who wants to fix things for individuals, for families, and she's getting that across by uh, sticking it out after her speeches and after her rallies for four hours at a time, taking photographs with individual voters. Um, and they are feeling that connection to her. The other thing that it demonstrates is that she has stamina. And we know how that became um, a, a a football in 2016 um, between Trump and Hillary Clinton. I think Elizabeth Warren's getting ahead of that. You have a, a group of candidates, all the three you know, top candidates for the Democratic field and the president himself, who are all septuagenarians. And <laughs> she is proving that she has the ability to go out there and, uh, and uh, embrace crowds with energy to continue to interface with them. The one thing I think is going on here that we have to be, keep in mind is the White House has for months now liked her as a candidate. I think personally the president wants to run against her, but I also believe that that might be mistaken given her theory of the race, one which I think is very coherent and is connecting with a lot of voters. Lonnie, do you think that we actually will see Congress try to take on any kind of gun reform? Uh, not in a meaningful way. Uh, I, I think that there will be some effort to demonstrate maybe some action on it. Uh, folks are going to talk about it. You might even hear some alternate proposals being floated, but th- there is no political uh, incentive for either side to work with the other one going into an election year. That's fundamentally the challenge we have. So, no, I don't, I don't see anything uh, big happening. 
All right. It was great having all of you here on such a key week in New York. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week, when we're back in Washington, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif, and former Secretary of State John Kerry. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation this week originated from the CBS News Broadcast Center in New York. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.